The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. All right, Mateo 5, 3 al 16. Vosotros sois la sal de la tierra, pero si la sal se desvaneciere, ¿con qué será salada? No sirve más para nada, sino para ser echada fuera y hollada por los hombres. Vosotros sois la luz del mundo. Una ciudad asentada sobre un monte no se puede esconder. Ni se enciende una luz y se pone debajo de un almud, sino sobre el candelero. Y alumbra a todos los que están en casa. Así alumbre vuestra luz delante de los hombres, para que vean vuestras buenas obras y glorifiquen a vuestro Padre que está en los cielos. Esta es la palabra del Señor. Amén. All right, good morning and welcome to the Burbank campus of Story City Church. My name is Jared. I'm one of your pastors here. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. I was a little worried because when I said good morning, you all had this really blank look on your face and I was like, man, we are in trouble. Well, we are super excited to have you with us this morning, whether you're joining us outside on the grass, whether you're indoors here or whether you're online, it is a pleasure to serve you this morning. I'm looking forward to being together. I say Burbank campus because we do have a Granada Hills location, as the Carpios mentioned. Uh, although we are all meeting together right now, we will be replanting that campus again. And as a church family, we exist to lead communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and each other. That word health is really key for us here. It's about um, not just being in relationship, but being in healthy relationships. It makes all of the difference. And so how do we become healthy? We have to learn the gospel, learn how to live out the gospel in our everyday lives. And uh, what is that gospel? A gospel is that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. That's pretty awesome. Um, before we get to our message today, I have a couple of housekeeping things. We're super excited to be back in our facility. One of the ways we can love each other in this facility is to keep our masks on indoors. All right. That is not a statement of anything. It's just a way to love each other. So let's keep doing that. I appreciate it. Just know it's about grace. Hey, uh, isn't it awesome to hear our scriptures read in different languages? I mean, yeah, it's been really cool. Um, but sometimes we don't talk about the why, and I want you guys to know it's not a gimmick. It's not something we're to do to be like, hey, look at how many different languages we can speak at this church. Um, you know, I can barely speak one, so um, that's not the point. The point is for us is that this is a reminder that God's kingdom includes every tribe and tongue, that God's kingdom is a picture of the entire earth. I want you to know, again, this is not a gimmick, but did you know that the scriptures themselves were written by a lot of amazing people and not one of them was white? And that's okay. Why do I mention this? I mention this because the Western church has sometimes forgotten that the American version of church, what God is doing in the church in America is only one expression of who God is and what he's doing across the world. In fact, it's only one expression of the American church is only one expression of what's happening in Los Angeles. There's so many incredible expressions of what God is doing and it's important that we remember that and it's important that our church reflects that. And so it's, it's, again, it's not just something we're doing to be kind of cool and hip and relevant. It's because this is who the kingdom of God is. This is who his church is. And that's why it's so important to us here at Story City. And so I'm, I'm excited. I want you guys to know that God's kingdom is purposefully and wonderfully open to all who would apprentice Jesus. And we always want to celebrate that as a church. And that leads me to my next point. 
Yesterday, April 24th, marked the remembrance of the Armenian genocide in 1915. If you don't know, upwards of one and a half million Armenians were murdered by the Ottoman Empire. But like the Holocaust, there are still many people today who refuse to acknowledge or admit that this actually happened. There's some people who say that it was made up. Even today, it's still a crime in Turkey to even bring it up and say we want to talk about it. It's still a criminal act. While there are other cultural issues involved in this, I want you to know that Armenia was one of the first nations to declare itself a Christian nation. And while not all Armenians are apprentices of Jesus, uh, this this, uh, aligning themselves with Jesus is one of the issues because they are in a predominantly Islamic area. Now, God has miraculously uh, rescued this tiny nation over and over and over again. Uh, And so I want you to know that during this most recent conflict, that the issue might have been called one of land rights or oil pipelines, but a lot of it really did have to do with the aligning of that nation with the name of Jesus. And so it's really important that we recognize this, that we understand this. And so I want to acknowledge this morning that this genocide was valid. It's a historical fact. And in a moment, we'll be praying for the Armenian people. But there's a greater thing at work here. There's a greater thing that I want you to understand, and it ties in perfectly with this Sermon on the Mount that that Jesus is helping us to understand that life is supposed to be lived differently than we are used to. And so if you've been paying attention to Jesus' sermon, our hearts should break for the lostness and sin that causes people to harm and hurt each other. Right? The Bible says, Jesus says that, that our hearts should break over the things that are done against us, that we shouldn't seek retaliation, but that we should be a people who say, I, I see what you're doing as a result of sin, and my heart breaks. I want you to come to know Jesus so that you are no longer like that. And that means if Jesus' sermon or how, how we are supposed to live, then that means that the same principles apply in the case of George, George Floyd's death and Derek Chauvin's conviction this week. It's the same principles that apply. We are responsible for praying for both families. Our hearts should break any time that there is a wrong perpetrated. Our hearts should break not just be willing to mourn with the victims, but also be praying and our hearts breaking for the perpetrators so that we can come to a place where we can see people transformed by the gospel. We can see people transformed by the relationship with Jesus. In any situation where someone has been wronged, our responsibility, again, is to mourn and comfort those who have been wronged, to acknowledge it exists, to own it, but also to be praying for those who have perpetrated those wrongs in our life. Now, it's easy when it doesn't involve us. It's much harder when it does involve us, right? There's a saying, it's not a problem until it's my problem. And the reality is is that we have to make it our problem. All sides, because that's what God has called us to do. That is the gospel. And so I'm gonna pray this morning for the Armenian people, but I also want us to be wrestling with what this means as a people who, who deal with the injustices in regular life. All of us deal with injustices on a regular basis. It may look different for you, but the truth is, is that every one of us deals with injustice and wrongness. Why? Because we live in a, in a sinful world that's broken. That's not the way that God designed it or intended it to be. Until we can recognize that, then it's not our problem. But it needs to be. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you that you, as we, as we sang this morning, are a God who is good. And Lord, I'll be honest, there's times where it's really hard to recognize your goodness in the midst of the pain and the brokenness that happens in this world. 
It's really difficult for, for me to sometimes see what you're doing when it just seems like the, the injustice of this world rises up and it, and it seems like it's left unchecked sometimes, but we know that that's not true. God, we know that for every wrong that's been done to us, every sin that has been committed against us, your son took every one of those injustices unfairly on the cross. That each one of those things was done to him. Each one of those hurts that have been committed against us and that we have committed against other people were laid on your son so that we might have mercy. We might have grace. We might have forgiveness. We might have acceptance and reconciliation in you. Lord, we thank you that we have been forgiven. We have been, uh, Lord, uh, restored in some ways to you as we apprentice you. We thank you that there are ways that you are still restoring and we thank you that one day you will finally restore all things. And so we ask that you would help us to have hearts that break, hearts that mourn appropriately, that we would love people, even those that are hard to love, even those that have hurt us, even those that it feels so unfair, that our hearts would break for them to know you as the one who transforms and renews and restores. And so we thank you this morning that you are good in the midst of all of that. We surrender to you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we move on. It's always easy to start with. It's good to start with all the easy stuff, right? It's simple. Today we move on from the beatitude portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and get into the rest of his message. Uh, some of us who maybe have uh, been around church for a while, it's, it's easy to forget that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount isn't just the beatitudes. It actually goes chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so we're going to continue on past the beatitudes into the rest of Jesus' Sermon. Now it's crucial to remember here that, that uh, I believe that this is a placed in the order that it's placed by Matthew, I think because Jesus built on his sermon, and so it's important to remember that the Beatitudes were the foundational part of what we're going to get into the rest of this, that this is what Jesus is building on, that he wants us to understand the beginning of this is the Beatitudes, and now he begins to address the uh, function and purpose for us as apprentices. We are poor in spirit and merciful and meek and hungering and thirsting after righteousness so that we may be the salt of the earth. Now, the second important thing to remember is that we don't want to take our Western culture, our Western eyes, our Western way of seeing things and try to apply that to a non-Western culture 2,000 years ago, right? I mean, our culture is changing so fast that some things we say now are absolutely not relevant or worthwhile to say or even the same meanings as what was said 40, 50 years ago right? And so sometimes we can kind of come in and we look at the Bible and we, we just take it, okay, it means what I understand it to mean, where words and things have changed. And so it's important that we don't put those eyes on. What do I mean? When I hear those people are just the salt of the earth. First, I don't know why, but I hear it in a Minnesota accent. I don't, know, I don't know why that is. And I would try and do that for you, but it always comes out Irish. So I just won't even, I won't even try. But there's something about that, just the salt of the earth people right? And what does that mean? What kind of things come to mind when you hear salt of the earth? What? I, I missed, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Victor. It's the, it's the mask. I apologize. I said sour. Sour. Okay. 
I'm glad that comes to your mind. That's okay. It's, it's all right. It's, it's sour. Uh, what, when you hear salt of the earth, what, what comes to your mind? It's okay to answer. I promise God does not strike you with lightning bolt. Real people. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Good people. Steady people. Steadfast people. Just hardworking people. Might think blue collar people. Right? Salt of the earth. And for me, it invokes the image of blue-collar, hardworking, honest, good, down-to-earth people. That's what I hear when I hear salt of the earth. And while there are certainly many Christians who are blue-collar, hardworking, honest, good, down-to-earth people, that does not make them Christians, right? Sitting in church does not make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you a Maserati. (laughs) It, it, It just doesn't happen. And so if you're taking notes today, this is the first observation for the day. We are only salt of the earth if we are apprentices to Jesus. We are only salt of the earth if we are apprentices to Jesus. So salt of the earth doesn't refer to being good people, and we know it can't because we remember that we're poor in spirit. Then what would Jesus have been talking about when he said this in the first century? Now, according to the gospel of Wikipedia... The first cooling systems for food involved using ice. Uh, Actually, um, I'm not condoning or recommending this movie, but if you saw Brewster's Millions, uh, he had to spend $30 million in 30 days. And one of the schemes that came up was a guy who was going to be cutting icebergs from uh, Antarctica and then transporting them to Egypt, to the desert. And he actually made money on it. But the funny part is that's actually based on a true story. There was a guy whose genius idea was to build ships and to take cut ice and transport it to the Caribbean. And he actually made money on it. It's crazy. I don't know how he did that in the 1800s, but he did it. Uh, So artificial refrigeration began in the mid-1750s and developed into the early 1800s. In 1834, the first working vapor compression refrigeration system was built. I don't know what that means, but it sounds really cool. The first commercial ice-making machine was invented in 1854, and if memory serves correct, it was by Doc Brown in Back to the Future 3. (laughs) Anyway, uh, in 1913, refrigerators for home use were invented, and in 1923, Frigidaire introduced the first self-contained unit. Uh, Now, the reason the food was kept at a lower ambient temperature was to slow the growth rate of bacteria. And so that's why refrigeration was so important, causing food to spoil if it wasn't refrigerated. And so Jesus was talking 1,900 years before the invention of refrigeration. He couldn't have been talking about it as that. So he would have known salt not just as a flavor enhancer, but as a preservative to keep meat fresh, to keep it from spoiling, and also uh, as an antiseptic. That's the other thing that salt, sounds really good, rub salt in the wound, right? Uh, But it actually works. It's one of the reasons when you're surfing and you go out in the ocean, you discover that cut you didn't know you had, but it actually is healing properties. Well, except our coast. I wouldn't know that that's healing (laughs) properties. Um, But generally, salt water can heal. Okay, so what does this have to do with Christians? Uh, uh, the salt was there to ensure the meat didn't go rotten in between when you brought it, bought it from the market, when you cooked it at home. Now, God's plan to rescue and renew all creation through the personal work of Jesus um, actually involves God's people being the tools that he uses to accomplish his mission. And for whatever reason, God has chosen his broken and flawed people. We call them the church, 
right? This is who God uses to accomplish his mission throughout the world. And so this is where we and the church as a worldwide entity can go off the rails. If we're not apprenticing Jesus, but are doing things in our own way, in our timing, in our strength, then we are not actually apprenticing Jesus, but simply doing good things with a Christian flavor. Last week, I quoted Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones as saying, if you try to imitate Christ, the world will praise you. If you become Christ-like, it will hate you. Now, this is what I'm referring to. It's one thing to be morally religious. It's another to completely live out the meaning in the teachings of Jesus. When we do things in our own way, in our own strength, when we become about the laws and rules, and and listen, here's why we're about laws and rules. It's because it actually helps us to figure out where we stand in relation to other people. Right? We may not think about it, but, but here's what we're doing. We're saying, well, I need to know if I'm good, and the only way to know if I'm good is by comparing myself to the people around me. Well, at least I'm better than that person. Oh, I'm not as good as that person. I hope to be that person someday, right? And, and we begin to put all of these things in place so that we can measure others so that we can actually measure ourselves. That's what religion does. How do we know that's religion and not uh, being apprentices of Jesus? Because Jesus says, I'm the one that defines you, not you. I'm the one that defines you, not other people. I'm the one that says you're good, not what you do. It's not your works that make you in that place. Now, some of you have been apprenticing Jesus for a long time. You're like, yeah, 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 I get it. And yet we still fall into those patterns of unbelief where we, we still measure ourselves against other people. We say, I need to work harder because I feel like I'm not being who God wanted me to be. I feel so far from God that, that I need to try and, and do more. Or... We identify ourselves based on what we're doing. Okay, God must be pleased with me. I can kind of chill for a little bit because I've been working really hard this month, this week to be good. And the result of that is always religion. This is exactly what the Pharisees were about. The Pharisees and Jesus' mission were actually much more closely aligned than people think. They were both trying to call the nation of Israel back to a healthy relationship with God. The problem was that the Pharisees' way of doing that was saying, hey, we need to put more rules in because there's all these ways that you guys are messing up. And so the more rules we place, the more we can keep you on the straight and narrow. But again, the problem is, is that creates morality and religion Instead, And Jesus actually accuses the Pharisee of creating a, a, a religious system that was so burdensome, that was so weighty that they couldn't even follow it themselves. But if we're apprenticing Jesus, then we realize that we're poor in spirit, that we're mourn and we meek because of our need and our satisfaction is found in Jesus. Our heart breaks for those around us. And when we engage with them, it's not at a place where we think we're better than them or we're trying to prove something but it's a place that longs for the people around us to see and be healed by Jesus. It changes our very attitude. Let me ask you a question. Which is greater, the salt or the person who is using the salt and knows how to use it? The person who knows how to use the salt and knows how to apply it is more important. The salt is just a tool. Salt does not bring antiseptic properties to a brick. Salt has no effect. It doesn't do anything there. And so if, if the salt just keeps put, being put on bricks, the salt is useless. It means nothing. And so God's plan is to use his church as a healing agent for the world. 
to fight the schemes and plans of Satan and to push back darkness and to bring the light of Jesus, the salt of Jesus into every circumstance and situation. But again, not the religion of earning love or grace or being legalistic, judgmental jerks, right? That's not what Jesus wants us to for, to be for. The other function of salt is the one that most obviously comes to mind. That's flavor, like flavor, flavor, right? It's Andy's favorite band. I just want to make sure you know that. In one sense, Jesus is saying that if we don't fulfill our purpose, then we are like salt that has none of its useful properties. We might as well be sand on steak or tofu for those of you who are vegans. On the other hand, Jesus is pointing out that salt enhances and brings out the flavor of something that would be bland and disappointing without it. Now, I love me some brisket. Anybody else? Brisket? I know we got some Texans in here. I know it. Yeah, see? Exactly. But I don't just love eating brisket. I actually like making brisket. Okay? Brisket is actually something I enjoy making. Um, when I make a brisket and you sit down to eat it, now my last brisket was a disaster. It was one of the first ones I really messed up in a long time. Sorry, Chris Ford and all. I apologize. I was all proud of it, but I was trying to do church and all that stuff, and it didn't, it didn't work out. And so anyway, my last brisket notwithstanding, when you sit down and enjoy brisket that I've made, it's a 28 to 30-hour process, right? There's a ton of preparation that goes before you even get to the cooking part. Which do you think you would enjoy more? A brisket that we took and, and just got to, you know, temperature you could eat it at with no preparation, with no seasoning on it, or one that we've spent 30 hours on? 30 hours. The 30 hours one, that's right. Thank you. Man. Listen, the truth is that both of those things are still brisket, but only one of them is worth eating. Jesus is essentially saying, you haven't even experienced life at all until you've experienced life in me. Life is life, but it's not worth having unless it's life in his way. There is true satisfaction and fulfillment and pleasure when we are apprentices of Jesus. It's so much more fulfilling. You can have life, but you can't have it eternally. You can't have it in him. You can't have it the way it was designed to be made unless it is in Jesus. Even pleasure and fulfillment and satisfaction is bland and useless without him. It all pales in comparison to him. If you're taking notes today, this is the second and final observation for the day. Salt of the earth is ultimately about our gospel identity as the Imago Dei. Salt of the earth is ultimately our gospel identity as the Imago Dei. Now, we as apprentices of Jesus have a really tough line to walk. We have to be in the world and not of it. We hear that, there's bumper stickers, but what the heck does that mean? Look, God created a kingdom and he is creator king over that kingdom. God created men and women in his image after his likeness and that likeness in us is called the image of God or the Imago Dei. The invisible God created humans to be a visible picture of who God is, how he leads, how he loves. Humans rejected that call. God said, I want you to be responsible as my Imago Dei to be pointing to me in everything that you do. And we rejected that call. We said, no, we've got a better plan for our lives. We want to do our own thing. We want to make sure we're taking care of ourselves in this creation in our way, not your way. 
And even though we rebelled and were treasonous against the king and the creator of this entire universe, it didn't change what we were created for, to point everything back to God. We are still a Mago Dei. Now, sin has marred that image. Sin has messed up that image. And so we don't perfectly point back to God. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit does that in us as we begin to uh, apprentice him. But that's always a part of our calling to still help people see and experience the healing and the flavor of Jesus. If our job is to point people to Jesus as the one who brings the flavor and the healing, then we have to remember it's not our job to do the job of Jesus. It's not our job to fix people. Church, we get in trouble when we try to do Jesus' job because we are not the ones that have the ability to know how to fix people well. We think sometimes we do, especially us pastors. I know what your problem is. <laughs> right? We get so caught up in this, okay, here's what, what our issues is. If, if you haven't figured this out, if there's a part of your life where you're going, man, God, I wish you would just deal with this in me and I don't understand why this has been allowed to go on in my life for years and years and years, I feel like you're not changing me. Let me tell you a secret about the way that God works. The biggest need in our life is often not the biggest need in our life. The biggest issue in our life is often not the one that God needs to deal with first in order to get to that biggest issue in your life. The biggest issue in your life that we think, the one that's most close to the surface, is probably not the one that God is going to deal with first. God knows how our house of cards is built on the inside. And God knows exactly what needs to come down. He's the Jenga master, right? He knows exactly what needs to come down in what order. And that's why it's not our job to fix people. Our job is to introduce them to Jesus, to help them spend time with Jesus, to help them fall in love with Jesus, to help model what a healthy relationship with Jesus looks like. That's how people get changed, by seeing the power of the living God moving in and through our lives. What happens is we tell people to go fix themselves or, or, or look at me to see how you're supposed to be fixed. What we end up doing is modeling this sense of follow me as I'm religious and try and do things the right way instead of the one that actually changes the motivations of our hearts. When we do that, we might as well be sand on a stake instead of salt on a stake. I'll never forget the moment I realized that I was sand. It was devastating. I was in deep conversation with a friend of mine. We were having one of those really great spiritual conversations. It comes up out of nowhere. It's really organic. It's beautiful. And uh, both of us were talking about how we had experienced pain in and through the church. And we both had very different responses to it. For, for me, it, it brought me to a place where I felt my job was to call the church back to holiness, call the church back to accountability, to call the church back and say, our job is to be models of who Jesus is. For her, it left her leading the, leaving the church and being against organized religion. And so she would say she viewed herself as spiritual, not religious, but she didn't want any part of organized church. And I was telling her, you can still be a Jesus follower and not be caught up in religion. And as an example, I said this, I said, look at my life. I'm no different from you. And in that moment, it hit me, ouch, I was no different than her. I was not living any way that was different from her. Now, why would she follow Jesus if there was no observable difference in my life than her life? God's power was not moving in and through me because everything was in my own effort. I was religiously modeling my morality 
and not who Jesus was and inviting people into that. You know what's beautiful though? Is Jesus doesn't give up on me. God throughout scriptures is a pursuant God. He saved me. He's still saving me. And one day I will be restored to the person that he intended me to be. It's going to be a beautiful day. My wife cannot wait for (laughs) That's something that should bring us great joy and great satisfaction in him. That we're seeing progress, not from our hard work and effort, but from spending time at Jesus's feet. The Bible says that those who persevere to the end receive their reward. Eternal life with Jesus as restored, renewed creation, perfectly reflecting the living God. That's our hope. That's the gospel. If you want to know more what it means to be a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, I would encourage you to go to the Next Steps table. We'd love to meet you there and talk to you about that. Or if you're watching us online, follow the link that Admin posts this morning. We'd love to pray with you. If you want to know about being baptized, it's the same Go to the next step table. For now, let's pray. God, you are absolutely incredible. You are amazing. You are good. I thank you that you are so faithful. You're so kind. But Lord, ultimately, I thank you that you work not because of our own goodness or because of our own strength, but that even through our morality and our attempts to try and be good, that you are the good in us. And so we want to lean into you. We want to have a relationship with you. We thank you and praise you in your holy name.